So I've titled this message, Jesus Understands. If you're looking for a title, I want to unpack this a bit. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 begins, if you're there with me, it says, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, in other words, the Roman Empire, as they had conquered everything. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and she was with child. And it came about while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Does anyone remember his name? Jesus. we got to get more confident in our answers, okay? That was the biggest softball I could throw to you and some of you. It's Yeshua. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's Jesus. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger or a feeding trough. Because there was no room for them in the inn. I told you this morning that there are parts of the Christmas story that touch my heart differently each year, and I could not get past that one single phrase that there was no room for them in the end. This is God. Hundreds of years beforehand, it was prophesied that it was going to be this way. God knew that His Son was going to be born at this time in this place, and yet there was no room for them in the end. When we look at the story of Jesus and His birth, the thing that strikes me more than any other quality every single time is the humility of God. Why would God allow His Son set up the circumstances for Him to be born somewhere and there's no room for them in the end? Couldn't God have sent someone ahead of time to make sure that there was room for His Son and yet everything about the life of Jesus specifically his birth is what we're talking about tonight, tells us something about the true character and nature of God. So what do we learn about a God who there's no room for him in the end? We learn humility. We learn that Jesus not only humbled himself in becoming a man, which is extraordinary humility. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I were God, how I would come to my planet is with sequence. I would come to my planet, I would roll out a red carpet with sequins on it, and I would throw a massive party, and I would have everyone bow down and worship me. And here's God in the flesh, born as a humble baby, helpless. Jesus was most likely breastfed, cared for, had his diapers, whatever they were, changed. He was a child. And God so ordained it to be this way because He was communicating to us once and for all time that He understands us. Does anyone know what it's like to change a baby's diaper? Does anyone know what it's like to need to repent after you change your baby's diaper? (laughs) All right, a few of us are willing to be honest. What in the world? They don't call it a blowout for nothing and we ain't talking tires. Holy Spirit, help us. How did that get all the way up there? There's no room for them in the end. Because God is a humble God. I find that so much of our endeavors 
in life are clothed in pride. Pride is the thing that we can see the least. Pride is something that we see in others, but we often are blind to in our own lives. Pride is the thing that God has explicitly said that He will oppose us if we walk in it. You say, I thought God was for me. Well, who could be against me? Well, God could be against you. God might oppose us in our pride. Why? Lest we succeed in our own self-absorption, in our own self-effort. Because God wants to teach us dependency upon Him. And I see Jesus who is dependent upon his parents, dependent upon God, of course, growing and learning. Luke 2.52 says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and man. So Jesus wasn't a little baby and he like knew everything. It says that God emptied himself. He emptied himself, not of his divinity, God put on humanity in the person of Jesus. We know that he was fully God and fully man, but he emptied himself of his divine privileges. He emptied himself. Would you call that a missing divine privilege that there's no room for him in the inn? There's nowhere for the... He's in a feeding trough? What animals eat out of? I'm sure that it stunk in that house. Because the humility of God communicates something to us. And our journey of Christ-likeness ultimately begins and ends with humility. So God not only becomes a man, but what does He do in His humble beginnings in being a man? He ultimately submits to the will of the Father and dies on behalf of sinners. Could the humility get any more deep or profound or radical than that? Can you name for me one thing that Jesus did for himself? But here we are in the era of self-help and self-care and do more for you and just be true to your heart. And here's Jesus being true to the Father's heart and the Father's will, and making absurd statements like, not my will, but your will be done. I don't speak anything of my own initiative. I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. What would our lives look like if we captured more of the humility of Christ? But can I tell you something? That humility doesn't sell books. Humility doesn't attract crowds. Humility doesn't gather up a movement. If we had a conference for humility, we would have empty seats I like conferences I like gatherings of power I like people gathering together for faith and expectation and believing the Lord to move in a special way I've been marked by meetings such as these but so many of our meetings I fear that we ultimately show up to gain something for ourselves and here's Jesus there's no room for him in the end Because Jesus understands. Because God understands us. Because God knows what it's like to be of humble circumstances. God knows what it's like to suffer and to die and to pay the ultimate price for our lives. It's quiet in here tonight. Are you with me tonight? Not this morning. So Jesus was humbled through circumstance and unto death even death on a cross he took it all the way and I can't get over Jesus pleading 
for his abusers, for his murderers, saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Have you ever pled to God on behalf of the ignorance of people that are hurting you? See, my forgiveness journey went another step, another layer deeper when it moved from, oh God, I forgive them, I bless them, Lord, open their eyes to, you know what, Lord, I don't even want you to hold it against them what they did to me. I hope that you forget it and you blot it out of your record and you show them the same mercy that you show me. See, because I used to, oh, have you forgiven them? This is a great question. How do you know you've forgiven? (laughs) Well, can you pray and can you ask God to remove every wrong that they've done to you and say, Lord, I don't even want you to remember it? Now we're talking about real forgiveness. My version of forgiveness used to be, (laughs) I forgive you, but I hope you get what's coming to you. I forgive you, but what goes around comes around. We make stupid statements like that because there's pride within us that wants to get even. Can we be honest tonight? So go to Luke chapter 1. Now that we're learning about a God and with there's no room in the end for His birth. It's extraordinary. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 5. So I started where you might expect, but I believe out of obedience to the Lord that I'm supposed to minister out of Luke 1 tonight. And we're going to see two main characters here. We're going to learn about Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist. And we're going to learn about Mary. And Mary, of course, is the mother of Jesus. And Mary and Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist's mom, they're relatives. Okay, So Luke 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, King of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years." Now it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. Well, listen, you got people that say, man, I see angels every night, and it's like they play and have fun. And every account of angelic activity in the scriptures, there's a fear that grips people because you're looking at a heavenly being, and the presence of God is radiating off of them. So Zacharias is troubled, and fear grips him. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. That's who we call John the Baptist. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. 
and he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now listen to this. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? One Greek scholar writes, By what proof? For I am an old man. Would you say old man? Bet you've never said old man out loud altogether in a church service. I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay inside the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended that he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. You guys doing good? Okay, so we meet Zacharias, he's in the temple, he's an old man, he's educated, he's trained, he's experienced, he has an encounter with the angel Gabriel who brings him the word of the Lord, and he wants to know by what proof, how is this going to happen? He responds in unbelief. Let's keep reading verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be? For I am a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. 
And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing, would you say nothing? Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You have two people that have an angelic encounter, an encounter with God. They both ask questions, but yet the result is so different. And talking about Jesus understands, I want to dive in and I want to contrast Mary's response to God because Gabriel is a messenger from the Lord. So a response to the messenger of the Lord is a response to God himself. But I want to look and contrast Mary's response to Zacharias's response. But before I do that, I need an old man and I need a young lady if you'll come up here. I figured it would be easier for me to take volunteers than to call out the old men in the room. All right. Larry, Larry's going to help you, Gary. You sit back down. All right, give us Gary. All right, I need a young girl. Some of you brothers are pointing at your wives. Good job. All right, now you stand here. Stand here for me. You stand here. You just look out. All right, now tell us your name, date of birth, and social security number. Uh, I'm kidding. But I do want to make you laugh and get it on recording because I love your laugh. (laughs) Okay, for the sake of teaching, comparison and contrasting. Let's say this is Mary. Say, hi, Mary. Mary. This is Gary. I'm just kidding. This is Zacharias. Say, hi, Zacharias. Okay, let's look. Or Zacharias. Yeah. Yeah, in Greek, there's a sigma at the end. But anyway. Zechariah, Zacharias, it's all good. It's just not Zechariah, which is a book in the Old Testament, right? Okay, so I want you to look at this for a second. Both are visited by the angel Gabriel, right? Gabriel shows up. They have that in common. They also have in common that they're both promised the miraculous birth of a son despite their circumstances, right? Now, your wife is barren and you're a virgin, So the impossibility is real. Number three, both respond to the word of the Lord with a question. This is important. Let's read again verse 18. Let's look at what Zechariah says. How shall I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Or by what proof? Now look at verse 34. How does Mary respond? How can this be since I am a virgin? They both ask a question, and yet, Mary is blessed by God. Zacharias can't speak. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad thing. He says, that was really stupid. I'm going to shut you up for a few months so that you can... I mean, imagine, that's all he has to do is think about it. Just keep thinking about the encounter that he had. He can't talk. He's not going to process it with anybody. He's just going to have to talk and pray to God and think about what he encountered. Now, what was the difference between the two? It was the motive and the attitude of their heart. Zacharias asked 
in unbelief. He asked from a place of doubt. He asked from a place of pride. Mary is asking from a place of humility and faith and curiosity, perhaps. She says, be it done to me according to your word, O Lord. Behold the slave of the Lord. But Zacharias is like, God, don't you know I'm old? How can these things be? Now, Zacharias is a priest. He's an old man. He's experienced. He certainly would have read the stories of God opening the womb of those who were old. And yet when the word of the Lord comes to him, he's full of unbelief. Now here's what blows my mind. Did you catch the part where Gabriel said, your petition has been heard? Now wait a second. Zacharias has been asking God for a child. He's been in prayer. He's been seeking the Lord. He's been making a petition to God. God, please hear my prayer about this. And an angel shows up (laughs) and says, The Lord has heard your prayers. What you've been asking for is going to be given to you. And his response is one of doubt and one of unbelief. You say, oh, that's, that's just like really bad. I wouldn't do that. And yet the church in the book of Acts 12, if you read chapter 12, this is a phenomenal story. Peter is imprisoned and everybody's freaking out because James has just been killed with the sword and they're losing their disciples and their leaders. And Peter is imprisoned and it says the church was praying fervently for Peter. An angel of the Lord shows up, breaks Peter out of prison. He winds up back at Mary's house. He's knocking on the door. God's answering their prayers, right? And it says a servant girl named Rhoda, she opens the door or she hears his voice. Excuse me. She hears his voice. She recognizes it's Peter. She doesn't even open the door yet. She turns around and tells everybody, guys, Peter's outside. They're having a prayer meeting for Peter to be set free from prison. And someone says, Peter's outside. (laughs) And in Acts 12, Luke records, it's the same author. They respond and say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. So how often in our lives, let's all own it, Do we pray and believe and ask God for things? And then in the moment of breakthrough, in the moment of healing, in the moment of delivery, in the moment of God giving us the things we've been seeking, we respond in unbelief. I feel led of the Lord to say this. Some of the greatest heartbreak... Oh, it's Christmas Eve, Paul. You can't share heartbreak. Some of the greatest heartbreak has been witnessing people pray and believe God to plant them in a community that loves them and cares for them and that just wants what Jesus wants. And they get planted here for a while and then unbelief starts to set in and then here comes offense and then the enemy starts lying and whispering and deceiving and the next thing you know, well, God brought them to us and us to them so that we could be a family and they get led right right out the door and it's not by the Spirit of God. They get the very thing that they've been praying and believing God for and on fire church, I hope we're on fire, somebody say amen. This is supposed to be a safe place for the hungry, a dangerous place for the lukewarm. Wouldn't we, you can be a safe place for the lukewarm. 
There's a lot of places you can find safety in your sin. You can find a pastor. You can find a leader. You can find a YouTube video of somebody saying, it's really not that bad. Your sin isn't a big deal. No, we need to make sin a big deal because it's a big deal to God. But rather than becoming a bunch of Pharisees that point out the sin and everybody else, we need to look in the mirror and look within. We need to allow God to confront us about all the things that we're praying for. We're at the turn of a new year. I hope you have things that you're believing God for in 2023. But when the Lord answers, and He will answer many prayers in this place for these families and for us His people, will the word of the Lord find us in a posture of unbelief? Or will the word of the Lord find us in a position of faith and humility? That even if that's not what I'm looking for, God, be it done to me according to your word because I'm your slave. I belong to you. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. What also strikes me is that Zacharias is praying for this, believing for this. All we know about Mary is that she's just a virgin girl (laughs) engaged to Joseph. She's probably excited about getting married. And the next thing you know, an angel comes upon her and says, You're going to have God's baby. (laughs) God is going to, you're going to conceive and it's going to be by the Holy Spirit. Well, what in the world? Is it any wonder that an angel had to appear to Joseph also? I think the Lord knew. She wasn't going to be, hey, listen. I know that um, we're not married yet, but I'm pregnant. And uh, it was God. (laughs) Oh, sure it was. No, God had to appear to Joseph. His name is Jesus. Don't cast her out. Think about the humility of Joseph. It says that Joseph didn't have relations with Mary until after the baby. Think about the chastity, the humility, the patience, allowing God to work out His timeline through their lives. Is it safe to say that God completely apprehended, or better yet, hijacked Mary and Joseph's lives? See, when God wants to do something powerful in our lives, so often we want it to be on our timetable. Do it in my plan. Do it within my structure. Do it within my box. And here comes God like, well, I want to move in your life. And I hear you praying and saying, use me, Lord. Do something great with my life. Glorify yourself in my life. But we say, I want it to look a certain way. I want it to happen my way. And yet he comes and says, no, I'm going to do it my way. Because can I tell you something? One of the hardest lessons I've learned with the Lord, and God is a good father, but ultimately if you want to be in his will, it is quite literally his way or the highway. And if you don't like God's rules, well, when you create your own planet, you can do it however you want. When you rule the world and you're the creator and the father and the sustainer of all things, You do whatever you want. But right now we're living on borrowed time with borrowed air that we're going to give an account for. So I want you to write this down. Zacharias or Zachariah. For you NIV readers. Question God. 
Mary asked God a question. When we question God, what I mean by this is there's a difference between questioning God and asking God questions. It's healthy and good to ask God questions. I have lots of questions still. Some of which he told me he's not going to give me an answer, but it still seems fun to ask him in case he changes his mind. You were supposed to laugh at that. It's okay. It's just me. All right. There's a difference between questioning God and asking God a question or asking God questions. Mary's coming from a place of humility. She's coming from a place of wanting to understand so that she can submit to the will of God. Zacharias is full of unbelief and he's the doubt and the unbelief within him carries with it an accusation like, well, that's awesome, but by what proof? How am I going to know? He's not even fully yet convinced, and Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, has appeared to him in the temple. He's having a powerful encounter. How many people have we witnessed have a powerful encounter? It was a real encounter. God was doing something truly amazing in their life and in their heart. And here comes unbelief to ransack the whole thing. The seed falls on the rocky soil and the thorns choke it up. The deceitfulness of riches. The desire to be somebody. The desire to be something other than what God wants you to be. The desire to work somewhere other than where God wants you to work. The desire to do anything contrary to the will of God is an offense to the Lord. A.W. Tozer says that the father of fear is unbelief. Let me run it by you again. The father of fear. Fear has a daddy. His name is unbelief. When we're in a posture of fear and we're full of fear, you can think about it now. Well, what's really ruling me is unbelief. It's a lack of trust. God, I'm afraid that we're not going to have what we need to pay our bills. And yet there's unbelief in the provision and the fatherhood of God. Are you guys still here? All right, turn to Hebrews 3. And I want to continue to talk about receiving the word of the Lord in humility. We're going to Hebrews 3. So Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is what? It is impossible to please God. So we know that our faith pleases God, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. As you turn to Hebrews 3, I want to share a personal story. Something that's very precious and special to me. I have this plaque, which I keep in my office, so that I can look at it every day I'm here. And it says, Jesus understands. Which is why I titled the message, Jesus Understands. Jesus Understands. This is an old plaque. This was given to me by my father. Something that he's had. You can tell it's pretty old. It looks like it comes from an antique store. This plaque has hung in every single one of the houses that I've lived in. Now, you may not understand my story. 
But my life was thrown into tragedy and chaos and inexplicable suffering when I was 13 years old. And I found myself abandoned and living with my dad. And this sign hung up over the front door of our house to remind us that no matter our circumstances, we were supposed to have faith and trust that Jesus understands. So twice in my childhood, not once, twice, I found myself in total poverty in a house that was empty when we were living through an Indiana winter of 2008 that was so harsh and so bitter and so cold see I couldn't escape it tonight it is freezing outside and it is Christmas time and maybe you're like me Christmas isn't always something that you've looked forward to I found that so many of my friends were enjoying Christmas and I was enduring the holidays can we just get this over with I can't wait for December 26th I'm just trying to be real with you. So twice in my childhood, poverty, nothing, no money, living in a house in foreclosure where we can't even afford to properly heat it and my nose is breaking open and bleeding every night because it's so cold. And the day that I got enough money to buy a space heater was like I hit the lottery. Three sweatshirts, four sweatshirts, multiple pairs of socks. Guys, I know the pain of poverty. It's terrible. The sting, the shame. And yet here hangs the sign Jesus understands. Because there's no suffering and there's no pain and there's no loss and there's no hurt and there's no tragedy or disease or divorce that can make this untrue. There's nothing that Jesus does not identify with. There's nothing that Jesus does not know. There's nothing that Jesus, the Son of God, there's no room for Him in the end from the very beginning and He's tortured by criminals. He's betrayed by His friends. He knows the ultimate pain and suffering of life unto crucifixion death. And here hangs this sign and now it sits in my office and I'll give it to one of our kids one day that Jesus understands. If you get this down inside of your soul... Nothing will ever rock you or take you away from Jesus Christ. But if you live a life of unbelief, if you doubt the word of the Lord, if you choose to question God, I told you a few weeks ago, if the enemy has a ministry, it's to get you to believe about God anything other than the truth. He is trying to constantly, incessantly, distort and pervert the true character and nature of God. He doesn't want you to know that God's your Father who loves you and cares for you. He doesn't want you to really understand in your soul that Jesus is your merciful and faithful high priest who will never leave you, never forsake you, never taunt you, never put you down. God does not nitpick or criticize or demean His kids ever. He doesn't want you to know Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to walk in gifts and power. He doesn't want you to experience the Helper's comfort and peace and counsel. He doesn't want the Holy Ghost to teach you about the Word of God that you would have a solid foundation that life and pain can't take from you. He wants to distort and pervert who God really is. Unbelief is a massive open door 
to be afflicted by the enemy. I want to provoke you to faith tonight where you close some doors in your life that need to be closed. That Jesus is God. That He came as a man. That He was born of a Virgin Mary. That He was crucified and resurrected three days later. That He is God in the flesh and there's nothing that's impossible for Him. There's no situation. There's no pain. There's no miracle that He cannot perform. See, when you get full of faith, you're still human, but there's part of you that becomes invincible. It's like even if it costs me everything, even if I lose everything, even if life constantly throws me curveballs and I can't quite get out of the way, I'm going to be found holding on to Jesus, leaving a heritage and a legacy of faith for my children that if they didn't get anything else from their mom or their dad, they saw someone who was enduring and persevering and holding on to a Jesus, not a Jesus who can't relate, but a Jesus who understands. But hear me this. I can't see the attitude of your heart and you can't see mine. On the surface, the question that Zacharias and that Mary asked God, they look much the same, right? Well, how how can this be? How are you going to do it? You be careful that your how to God is in a posture of unbelief. We're in a church plant. We're on a faith journey. People are like, where are we going from here? I'm like, I have no idea. But I know the God who does, and He's going to be faithful through it all. We need to keep preaching Him, worshiping Him, loving Him, and inspiring each other to live all out for Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. Hebrews 3. Let's talk about our heart posture here. Verse 12 is where we're going to start of Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers. Would you say take care? Take care. Not like, ah, take care. (laughs) Take care, everybody. No, take care. There's a sobriety to this. Take care. Lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Do you see that the Lord likens an evil heart and an unbelieving heart together? When we live in, we treat unbelief like it's our pet. I just just can't quite get there. I'm like, well, you better find a way. When I find unbelief alive in my life, I make every effort I know how to slaughter it. Because if you don't kill unbelief, unbelief will kill you. If you don't eradicate it from every inch of your thinking that says God can't, God won't, God doesn't, God doesn't care, God doesn't know, God doesn't see. All these attitudes of unbelief because here's the deal with pastoring and shepherding and ministering and preaching and teaching. I can't give you my faith and you can't give me yours. So real ministry should be equipping you, hey, go get your own oil. Go get your own prayer life. You know how awkward it is when people come in for counseling and they don't have a devotional life and you send them home because you're like, look, if you're not reading the word of God, there's nothing that I can tell you that. What are we doing here? You need to get a life in the word, a life in the Lord, a life in prayer, a meaningful connection to God, because there's no human being that can do that for you. There's no measure of accountability so great that it would be like a straitjacket 
We have to have our own. So take care that there's not an evil, unbelieving heart within you, within me. A heart that doubts. A heart that's full of unbelief. A heart that questions God. Again, it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to say, Father, please help me to understand that I might do your will. But when we go after the Lord, we partner with the enemy and we become an accuser to God. Some of the most powerful breakthroughs I have witnessed people have is when they got over the question of God, where were you? Where were you when I was being fill in the blank, all the trauma? And they realized, no, the Father was right there. And the Father knows and the Father sees and the Father cares. And the Father is going to make the wrong things right. And the Father is going to recompense every person for their deed. God's not going to let anybody get off the hook. You think, oh, they escaped and they lived a great life. No, this is the reality of hell. I joked I was going to preach on hell on Christmas in a sequins jacket. I guess I just kind of did. But encourage one another, verse 13. Day after day. How often are we supposed to encourage one another? Every day. Every day. Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, oh, yeah, we'll just wait till Sunday, wrong. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. God wants each of us to become an encourager. What if we showed up and had our meetings on Sundays and we sought to encourage one another in the meeting and then we sought to encourage one another and send text messages and phone calls and we became stitched and knit together by the power of God encouraging one another. Did you know that you and I have a role? We're supposed to keep one another in the faith. We're supposed to say, hey man, I see this in your life and you're straying. And I see, I can't, I can't look the other way. I can't turn a blind eye. I know I'm working out my stuff, but I want to do it together with you. If your accountability partner sins the same way that you do, that's not accountability. That's called misery loves company. You want to be accountable to someone who is walking in where you're trying to go. Encourage one another day after day. I'm in Hebrews 3.13. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is an extraordinary thought. God wants to keep the deceitfulness of sin that hardens us away through encouraging one another. I'm not talking about the encouragement that says, Oh, you're just so wonderful. Hey, Nick, you're doing a great job. And you are, by the way. Talking about encouragement that's anointed by the Holy Spirit. Says, man, I was praying and I was seeking the Lord on your behalf. And God spoke to me and he showed me this. Or he brought this scripture to mind. You know how many times, it's, this is a phenomenon. The Lord, I can't get anything for somebody, but I just get one verse of scripture. And I'm like, I don't have anything else and I'm not going to make something up. The Lord spoke to me and they're like, this has been my verse for the week that I've been meditating on. And we're both encouraged like, oh yeah, God is alive. He's real and He's fa It's not a coincidence. If you have an attitude of coincidences in God, that's a true attitude of unbelief. 
you're writing off the activity of God and calling it circumstantial when it's supernatural. There are no... You hear me. Oh, it's a coincidence. You sound like an unbeliever. You sound like you're like, oh, it was, it was, it was fate. What is fate? I believe in God the Father. I don't believe in fate. Don't wish me luck. Pray for me. I don't need, what is luck? There's grace. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Did you catch the if? You mean I have to persevere? I have to continue? I have to hold fast the assurance? While it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, say this with me, Do not harden your hearts. Is God speaking? Are you hearing the voice of the Lord? Don't harden your heart. Don't be like Zacharias, full of unbelief and doubt. Be like Mary who says, Lord, whatever you're speaking and you're saying, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to listen. I'm going to yield to you. I'm going to follow you. No matter the cost, no matter how inconvenient it is, I'm going to follow you because you are God and I am not. Don't harden your heart if you hear the voice of the Lord. Look to verse 1 of chapter 4. Just jump down with me. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we've had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Why wasn't the word that was preached to them beneficial? Why wasn't the word that was taught them? Why wasn't the word? Listen, you can take somebody and you can show them, here's the scriptures, here's the truth, here's my life, here's my experience, here's my heart, here's the transformation, here's the miracle stories I've seen. And yet if their heart is not full of faith, what they're hearing won't benefit them. It will be of no profit because of the unbelief and the hardness of heart. Isn't it extraordinary that tragedy strikes families and some turn to God and some turn away from God? This is fascinating to me. I don't mean that in a funny way. I mean like truly like what in the world? The same group of people went through the same thing and some got broken and humbled and they cried out to God and some got angry and bitter and unforgiving and relentless and they turned their back on God, which has caused me personally to conclude that there are only two kinds of people on the whole face of the earth. There are those that have allowed their pain because we all have pain. There are those that have allowed their pain to be a bridge to God. And there are those that have allowed their pain to be a barrier to God. I've witnessed to many atheists. I've never met an atheist that wasn't angry with God. You start saying, well, if you really didn't believe there was a God and life was meaningless, you should kill yourself. Like logically and necessarily, you should commit suicide. I don't want you to do that. 
but you don't even make sense. Why is it that you don't want to die? You find that you want to live. Oh, actually, what it got to is I'm angry with God. I'm mad I'm not God. And yet here's the walk of faith that says, Jesus understands. Lord, you know. Father, I can't quite make sense of all of it. But you know what? When I get to see you, guys, we're not going to have like a, a, some kind of quiz bowl with God. Oh, you know, I've been waiting like a long time to ask you these questions, Lord. You know, like I got like a whole, oh, I can't find my, oh, I can't find my, my notebook. It, it, it evaporated in the glory of God. And I find that I just want to worship Jesus. I heard people like, man, I want to find out how many steps I took while I was on earth. I'm like, what does knowing that number benefit you? Like, wear a pedometer or whatever they're called. And make a guess. Do the math. Well, I, when I get, I'm, I want to know. I, you know what? No, Jesus understands. God knows. God cares. When I get to heaven, I just want to see Jesus. I want to worship. I want to experience the glory and the power. And the worthiness of the Lamb. I want to see what the four living creatures see. I want to be enveloped in the presence. In the It says that God dwells in unapproachable light. What does that mean? <laughs> but we can draw near to Him. Oh man, I'm blown away. So God is speaking to us. I'm going to give you three quick ways so that nobody's lost. God speaks to us through, number one, through his word. Somebody say amen. amen. Imagine that, a bunch of tongue talkers, just amen that God speaks through his word. This is God's primary. Say it with me, primary. This is God's primary vehicle, avenue of communicating with us. Where people go astray with all the other manifestations is when they don't have a life in the Word of God. We need to be eating, sleeping, breathing, enjoying the Word of God. It is asinine to claim God didn't speak to me today. If you opened the book inspired by the Holy Spirit, God was speaking. Read until you're full. Read until something speaks to you. Read until something pricks your heart. And then maybe, just maybe consider pausing your Bible reading plan. I know we're all about to do it. I saw a funny little thing of Michael Jordan crying. And it was like all the Christians of my Bible reading plan in Leviticus. And the year is ending. Here we go, 2023, we're going to try again. I'm going to do 14 chapters a day. And on Sundays, I'm going to do 18. Listen, I'm fine with it. Go get it. Read it. Study it. Get it inside of you. But if what you're reading isn't impacting you, try again. Need to encounter God. I've been discipling someone via text. I know that sounds strange. <laughs> You're like, oh, we did that. <laughs> they said, you changed my life. Well, what do you mean? I changed their life because I told them the point of reading the Bible isn't to know the Bible. I go, oh, what? I said, the point of reading the Bible is to encounter the author. Yes. 
God. You can have a relationship with the book and not know the author and perish. Hello, Pharisees. Jesus said to them, you err because you think that within the scriptures, there's life. You're looking for, no, look, you're, you're missing me right in front of you. I love the word. God speaks to us through his word, but the point is to encounter God. Number two, this is really easy, guys. God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. So what is God saying to you in prayer? What is God speaking to you in your dreams at night and visions during the day? How is God revealing himself? Follow the faith. Follow the favor. Follow what wells up inside of you that might be beyond you that would take the Spirit of God to accomplish. He's speaking through his Spirit. But everything that he speaks through his Spirit must be found in His Word. There must be the essence of the character and nature of God within it. Otherwise, we're listening to deceitful spirits. One of the number one questions I've received from people is this. How do I know it's God? It's a great question. How do I know? Like I hear something. <laughs> like God talks to you every day. I'm like, we're talking about the internal witness of the Holy Ghost. I've only heard the audible voice of the Lord a handful of times where there was a noise in the room. I mean, it was just me. <laughs> Him speaking by His Spirit. How do I know? This says in the next chapter of Hebrews 4 that the Word of God, the written Word of God, is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? It separates what? Joint and marrow. And it divides, say it with me, soul and spirit. There you go. How do I know? Well, you need your soul and your spirit separated so that the spirit of God can speak to your spirit and your soulish desires don't get in the way. Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, what you want. When God is speaking, so how do I get my soul and spirit divided? I devour the word of God. Would you recognize your spouse's voice from the other room? I hope so. Taylor could call me from a payphone in France. I'd be like, that's your voice. What are you doing over there? We just said good morning. I don't know where I come up with this, okay? I don't watch that many movies either. That wouldn't make a good movie. She's right. I think she's beating up my analogy, but it's okay. I would recognize her voice. I would know it was her. So God speaks from within and we go, hey, I recognize that voice. I've been reading and consuming that voice. That sounds like the Lord. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to submit what you're saying. Ready? Watch this. This is really easy. God speaks to us, number three, through his people. God can't. He doesn't want you to hear his voice through other people all the time. You have more grace on your life to hear God for yourself than anyone else. In the charismatic community, we do this thing where we think it's the old covenant. And we're like, I just need to find a prophet to prophesy to me. Rather, you got, the, you got God all over you. Tell me what God is saying. Like, I, the Lord, he, he gave me a word and it's, read your Bible. So we, other people can hear God with you. They can't hear God for you. 
And I've given people some unfavorable words. <laughs> like, Lord, people are going to hate me. I said, well, if you're dead, it won't matter. Yes, Lord. So I want to ask you to do something with me. I want you to answer the question just within your own heart right now. What is, God, what are you saying to me through your word? Just begin to think about your life. Hopefully you're in the scriptures. What is God revealing to you in his word? Second, what is God revealing to you through his spirit, through dreams, through visions, through prayer, through the internal witness of the Holy Ghost? What is God speaking to you? And thirdly, what is God speaking to me through his people? What are, what are the voices around you of encouragement, of correction, of rebuke, of prophecy? What are the people of God in your life who are trustworthy? What are they saying? God is saying. Does that make sense? All right, now it's Christmas Eve. We're going to have a little fun in the family. I want to ask you to do something and Taylor's going to play. Just for a couple of minutes, don't tell someone your whole life story. This is not the time. But I want us to divide up into groups of three or four, not two, three or four, guys with guys, girls with girls. And I want you in vulnerability and humility. If Jesus became a man, he wasn't in sequence. He was a baby born to model for us humility and vulnerability then let's be humble and let's be vulnerable and let's share. And here's what I ask you to do. If you can share what God is saying, just be brief. Here's what the Lord's saying to me through his word, through his spirit, through his people. And then I want us to pray for one another and lift one another up and encourage one another. I want you to pray your best prayer with all the fire of your faith over your brother or ladies over your sister because we want guys together and girls together. Is that clear for everybody? But I believe the Lord is going to breathe through this. And I believe that some people are going to get victory over unbelief tonight. I believe some people are going to be brought into a posture of faith that, hey, I'm going through a difficult time, but Jesus understands and Jesus knows. And I can hang on, even if it's just by a thread, I can hang on to the hem of Jesus' garment because of the encouragement and the provocation of faith through my brothers and through my sisters. Does that make sense? I'm not going to put any more parameters on it than that. Would you all stand to your feet?